No, and it's one of those things where I am grateful that Eric asks. I appreciate his trust in me. It's an honor to be in front of you, and um, it's even been cool to see our church body at work this week getting so many texts from people who are praying and supporting. I need every bit of it, so I do appreciate it. Number two, so we have a brand new mic this week from our last microphone issues. So obviously we've got other issues going on besides new microphone. It's not the sound tech guy's fault at all. So can we just like give it up for our sound tech guys? They bust their tail every week. Michael, Steve, Greg, all you guys, Justin, everybody back there. We know you guys work hard and these are not fun moments for you, but we're working at it. We got a new mic. Obviously it must be something else. And of course, during mic check, guess what? It worked fine. So I go back to, I think there's something maybe uh, from Ian's heart and what God's been showing him that maybe someone else doesn't want him to get across. So uh, Ian, you're going to go old school. You know, like the old school preachers, they used to like go like this. They got really hot. (laughs) Just kidding, buddy. Have a good time, man. You can just go with it. Sounds good. All right, so I have been in church my entire life, and I grew up in the Chicago suburbs. I was at a church called First Baptist from about five years old on. And now, even though Baptist was in the name, we really were not all that Baptist. We were independent Baptists, which, since we weren't connected to another church or denomination, we could do whatever we wanted. And so then, you know, my first church out of college was also independent. And imagine how weird it was for me to come... To come, there we go, to come to Eagle Church and find out for, that, for the first time in my life, I'm going to get to be a part of a denomination. I bet for some of you here this morning, you're also finding out for the first time we're part of a denomination. So the Christian and Missionary Alliance, I'd, I'd heard of it before. I'd actually served for five weeks one summer. It was Waveland, Mississippi. We were doing Hurricane Katrina relief, and it was a Christian and Missionary Alliance church plant. But outside of that, I didn't really know much about it. And shortly after starting here, I was licensed, and that began a two-year journey of becoming ordained. I'm genuinely excited to go through the process, but I got to admit, I am not used to this denomination thing. And it is hard enough to get used to something new, but here's the thing. Why do we have to have the longest name ever? Baptist. Methodist, Lutheran, Christian and Missionary Alliance. I mean, seriously, four words, ten syllables, I've counted. And, and here's the thing, I'm not the first person to think about this because people in the Christian and Missionary Alliance, they shorten it. But unfortunately, the way they go about abbreviate, abbreviating it can be a little, you know, creepy to the newcomers. I remember last summer, I went with Justin to the New Workers Conference, and people would come up to you and ask, how long have you been a part of the Alliance. Did you grow up in the Alliance? Yeah, because that's not creepy at all, right? But seriously, all kidding aside, I love learning about our denomination. It has a rich history and theology. And I bring all this up because this morning's topic stems from a personal journey. An emphasis within the ordination process is Christ as healer, And God has been blowing my mind when it comes to this topic of healing. And it's been awesome. At Ignite Camp this past year in June, I felt God leading me to speak on healing from the Gospels. 
I, much, I would have much rather taught on something that's been a part of my walk for much longer, but we do what God tells us to do. So this morning, we're focusing on a Jesus story. My hope would be that we would have a bigger view of God and a greater expectation of healing by the time that we're done. That's why this title, Bigger God, Greater Healing. Instead of points, I'll frame our time around three questions. So question number one, what do we desire healing for? Before we go to Mark 9, which tells of a boy healed of demon possession, I want you to consider, what do you need healing for? Right here, right now, this morning, the nature of our text is probably such that you're not going to want healing for the exact same type of thing as this father and son. But healing is needed for all sorts of things. There's physical healing, but there's also spiritual, emotional most simply, healing is the process of making or becoming sound, healthy, or whole again. So let's run with that broad understanding of healing this morning. Categories can include broken relationships, past sin consequences, present sin struggles, disappointments, losses. What do you need healing for this morning? So let's turn Mark 9. Our entire text will be Mark 9, 14 through 29. But we'll start by just reading this first section. It'll also be up on the screens. Mark 9, starting at verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashing his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now to set the stage, we have to remember what came directly before this. In verse 14, it says, they came to the other disciples. Well, the they is Jesus, Peter, James, and John, and they had just experienced the transfiguration of Christ. Transfigured means to simply become more beautiful and elevated. They had started talking with Moses and Elijah, who had appeared out of nowhere, and then they hear the voice of God himself say, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. So as a sidebar, I think it worth considering, would perhaps this story have played out differently if Peter, James, and John had first seen the transfiguration and then been asked for healing? Maybe their experience of God's power would have led to a different result. But as we know, that's not how it happened. No, by the time Jesus and the three arrive on the scene, they are arguing with the teachers of the law. We don't know exactly well, what are they arguing about. But when Jesus asks, the father steps in first, which goes to show the disciples are probably embarrassed over what's happened. They knew better than to argue. And they knew that they had not been successful. In verses 17 and 18, we find out that this father has a son possessed by a demon. It's taken away his ability to talk. It causes him to convulse and shake. We find out later that He's been suffering with this for years. He's probably a teenager by now. 
This boy is definitely not healthy and whole. Quite plainly, healing was needed in this scenario. So take a moment and think back to how you answered that first question. What do we need healing for today? We all have aspects of our lives that are not as they should be. Something's not quite right. We grieve and suffer all sorts of things. What do we need healing for? Verse 19, Jesus says, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Jesus is a bit frustrated, right? I'm thankful that Mark puts this in because it gives us the grace to be frustrated, right? Jesus himself felt it. I'm sure every parent in the room is thankful for the grace to be frustrated with your kids. Am I right? So you've all had that experience where you're working with your kids on something and you think that they're, they're moving along only to find out that they're not quite as far as you thought. You know, I'm, I'm not a parent, but as a youth pastor, I kind of relate. I want our students to fall passionately in love with Jesus, to live spirit-controlled lives. And sometimes it is frustrating when they just don't get it. Well, that sense of frustration that comes out of love and devotion is probably very much what Jesus felt. He also had a a real sense of urgency. This question, how long? He knew he was not going to be with them forever. And he knew he needed to count on them when he was no longer with them. I think it's safe to say that we all have been in that place of the disciples of frustrating our Lord. But let's read on, starting again, this time at Mark 9, verse 20. So they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. So that leads us to our next question. Do we really believe God heals? Do we really believe God heals? One of the first things they teach you in homiletics or preaching class is to never ask yes, no questions, right? It's a conversation ender. But do you remember being in school and you take a test, you come to the short essay portion and they would ask you a yes, no question. Immediately you'll be like, yes, all I have to do is form an opinion, answer yes, no, and I'm good to go. But then your eyes move a little bit further down. You see four words that can strike fear into any student. Why or why not? It won't surprise anyone who knows me that I was quite the teacher's pet in school, but even my loyalty was threatened when they asked us the why question. Do we really believe God heals? Yes or no, but the why or why not is what we want to get at. I'm confident that 99% of the people here would cognitively affirm that God heals. It's in the Bible. There's a lot of stories about it. But here's the thing. Our behavior is the window 
to our beliefs. We may intellectually agree with something, but until it affects our heart and soul and mind and strength and behavior, only then do we know we truly believe. Our behavior is the window to our belief. If I truly believe God is a God of healing, I am going to live differently from those that merely affirm it. So do you believe God heals? I hope you do, but I also hope it's for more than because I've been told to. Because the Bible says so. Have you experienced it? Do you desire it? Are we desperate the way this father was desperate? Maybe you pay lip service to God as healer, but your belief or your behavior shows that you do not truly believe. So why not? Well, perhaps we have trouble believing in miraculous healing because we've not even experienced the less miraculous promises of God. Now, I'm going to unpack that in a second. But first, I want to stop here and proclaim that if you are a follower of Christ, saved by grace, then you have experienced the greatest healing of all. You were once sick, enslaved, broken, but now you are healed, forgiven. So when we think of miraculous healings, let's not forget that we have all, as children of God, experienced something miraculous. The gospel is the greatest miracle of healing. Remember Matthew 9, Jesus heals the paralytic, but first forgives his sins. The teachers of the law, they jumped down his throat, but Jesus simply replies, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and walk. But so that you might know that the son of man has the power to forgive. Then he said to the paralytic, take up your mat and go home. Healing and forgiveness are equally miraculous. So what does it mean then when I say that some of us have not experienced maybe less miraculous power of God? Well, if we've not experienced God working in our lives in smaller ways, then we will struggle to believe for greater things. For example, one of my favorite passages of scripture is 1 Corinthians 10. If you're a student and you've met with me one-on-one, -on -one, you've probably heard me say it. Verses 12 and 13 read, So if you think you are standing strong, be careful, for you too may fall into the same sin. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. This stands out to me because when I was in high school, I first learned this verse, learned to claim it, and then saw God show up in my life in incredible ways. When I would be tempted as a high school student to look at things that I had no business looking at, the text messages, the people coming to the door, the interruptions that gave me a way out to stand up under temptation. That was an encouragement to me. You know, some would say, oh, just coincidence. But I say, no, that is an example of God doing something miraculous. Granted, maybe not as miraculous as other things, but a smaller miraculous presence of God in my life. If we've not experienced the smaller miraculous workings of God, it'll be a challenge to believe in greater ones. Verse 20, Jesus expressed frustration. The disciples bring the boy over. 
The father asked, if you can do anything, take pity on us, help us. And I I love Jesus' response. If you can, everything is possible for him who believes. Now, a point of clarification, Jesus' affirmation does not mean that faith literally accomplishes anything we want, but that those who have faith will not set limits to the power of God. My greatest fear in a sermon like this is somehow someone would walk away either feeling guilty for not experiencing healing or thinking that they will have the right to claim whatever they want. The canon of scripture stands in sharp opposition to that. There are times when when healing, especially from sickness, doesn't come in our timing. Think Job. Think lament psalms. So what, what is Jesus getting at? He's addressing the core, the root of the issue, belief. Do we really believe God heals in poor health? in unmet expectations, in brokenness. We don't know to what degree the disciples' unbelief was, but Jesus does draw a connection between their lack of belief and the lack of healing. Something about their approach was off. That's when we come to my favorite part of the entire story. We get a look into the father's faith journey, and it stands in sharp contrast to that of the disciples. The disciples had seen Jesus heal a demon-possessed man, feed the 5,000, calm the sea. The father has not seen any of this himself. He's only heard about it. But when Jesus asks, his response is this, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Is this guy a walking contradiction? Is he confused or is he perhaps onto something? I don't want to put words in his mouth, but really he's saying, I want to believe, but I don't. I know I should believe, but I'm having trouble with it. If we were more like this father, I think our lives would look profoundly different. If we were always this honest and willing to go to God in that honesty, it would change our relationship. This question, do we really believe God heals? I don't think it'll be static. It might shift sometimes. The reality of life comes crashing down and we start to question the goodness of God. Something may happen and we no longer think that God is capable of healing. The heartbroken teenager going through a breakup has a hard time imagining that they will ever bounce back and be whole again. The cancer patient has stats on their side saying they might never be healed. The loss of a loved one leaves a gaping hole and thrusts you into a new season of life that you are never ready for. This father shows us what to do in our unbelief. It's simple, earnest, and transformative. Let's read the rest of the story. Mark 9, we'll start again at verse 24. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him, Never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. 
the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Our last question is what do we need to do to fully cooperate with the spirit in pursuit of healing? Well, number one, go to God with your unbelief. That is the invitation of verse 24. And it's so counterintuitive for us sometimes because we will go to other people for healing, for help long before we will go to God. Now, I'd be the first to admit that people are important. I'm a people person, right? Some of you who are more introverted, you still enjoy being around people, but you recharge alone. Sounds terrible. But spending time with people, especially my close, you know, Christian friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's an incredible joy. It's a gift from the Father. But good things in our lives always run the risk of becoming ultimate things. When we struggle believing that God is big enough to heal, it's okay to approach others for help. But ultimately, it is best and right to go to the Heavenly Father He knows exactly what we need, when we need it, and only he changes hearts. I'll be honest, going to God first is difficult for me. But consider how silly it would be to say, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief to anyone other than Christ. It is the desperate prayer of a father seeking healing for his son. And this example is, is stand out. I've not focused much on demon possession in this sermon because that could be a whole nother message, but this story is remarkable. If God can grow the father's belief in this scenario, he can definitely do the same for us. He can increase our belief. Hopefully at this point, you've identified something that you desire healing for. It might be small. It might be really big. It might involve actual sickness, or it could be emotional, relational, personal. No matter how big or small, we should go to God when we lack belief. So what else do we do to cooperate with the Spirit? Well, number two, pray for healing. In verse 29, Jesus tells the disciples, this demon only leaves through prayer. But did you notice something about this story? What did Jesus not do? pray. You can look back. He never prayed once, but the absence of prayer doesn't mean he's a hypocrite. No, it reveals that Christ had a prayerful life that was always walking in the spirit. If we think praying for healing is sending up random requests to God throughout the day, then we have missed it. What we really want, we will seek. And when it comes to healing, we must pray. God is not intimidated by high expectations of him in prayer. I don't mean expectations that are demanding. I mean expectations that fit with the power and promises of God. He loves it when we turn to him, like a father loves to hear from his children. It's possible God is calling you to pray again for something you long ago stopped praying for. I've been there. 
And it's in those moments that I remind myself, God would much rather have me err on the side of high expectations of him in prayer than low. We reflect on Matthew 7, ask, seek, knock. And finally, number three, be in step with God's revealed will. There are two wills of God. Number one, revealed will. Two, hidden will. The revealed will of God is what he said to us in scripture, instructions for living, his redemptive plan. His hidden will is that which we don't know, that which we can't fully comprehend, the future. In order to fully cooperate with the spirit, we must be in step with God's revealed will, meaning that we walk in obedience. Lack of prayer Lack of obedience is what led to the, to the disciples to not be able to claim healing in the name of Jesus. When it comes to sickness, James 5 instructs us to pray, to invite in the elders, to anoint with oil. And I love that Eagle actually does that. John 5 points to the fact that healing is somehow tied to your, to your obedience to some degree or another. For example, if we're waiting for healing in a relationship and we are unwilling to forgive, then we are not walking in step with his revealed will. Confession, repentance of sin, that should come before praying for healing. We're not earning it and God's not tied to our behavior one way or another. But to pursue healing without walking in step with the spirit is to misapply God's truth and is to place our will above God's. What do we need healing for? Do we really believe God heals? What do we need to do to cooperate with the spirit? I admit I've not found myself yet praying much for physical healing. Someday that may change. I've not been possessed by a demon, though when I was younger, my sisters would have said I was. But I have had things happen that I've needed healing for. Things that threatens my ability to be whole and to live John 10.10, life to the full. Overall, I had a great experience at my first church job. I'm thankful for that season. I made a lot of lifelong friends. Over the course of my time there, I was close with several families, and I eventually dated a girl from one of those families. And about six months prior to moving here, I felt God releasing me from my calling to that church. I began to pray and anticipate, well, what's coming next? And by the time I was hired, we knew that our dating relationship wasn't going to last. But in a nutshell, those unmet expectations that we'd continue to date and that I'd be working there for a long time, it led to actually quite a bit of hurt. And we all know what happens when people get hurt. They try to hurt you back. And that's what happened. The next three months were easily the most difficult of my life as I lost friendship after friendship. I felt Isolated in ways I'd never felt isolated before. The worst was assumed of me on every front, and it really did a number on me. When I knew, moved here, Rob, who's known me for a long time, noticed something was off, and he challenged me do business with God and be healed. 
I prayed and prayed and prayed, and I struggled believing anything would ever change. I had to go to God with my unbelief. But after several months, I sensed God healing me. I stopped dwelling on what had happened. God gave me a new and incredible community to be a part of, and my trust in God and in his church was being rebuilt. I stopped praying so much for further healing, which isn't good. I figured that some things just don't happen, especially when it comes to reconciliation. A year and a half went by. And then God did something really amazing and increased healing in my life. Talk about the disconnect sometimes between what we ask for and what God does. I got a phone call from two people who had cut me off, but they had wanted to talk. I was hesitant, you know, that whole cooperating with the spirit in my life meant dealing with forgiveness and bitterness and anger that still welled up at times. But as it turns out, God had been doing a work in their lives. They wanted to apologize, ask for forgiveness, and restore our relationship. It was a difficult hour, but it was a picture of healing. I had to hold back tears over both the past hurt, but also the present joy. When I got off the phone, there was greater healing than I had even expected. God honored the prayers of my past in his timing. And while it had been very hard, he brought himself glory in my life and in the lives of my friends. God is most definitely about the work of healing. But do we believe it? Are we willing to fully engage with the spirit, going to God with our unbelief and petitioning him in prayer? Please don't sell him short by having low expectations for healing. We can have high expectations of God because he has invited us to. Bigger God, greater healing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can come to you in all things. You are sovereign, you are healer, you are creator. You have knit us together and you know what our future holds. I confess the times where I expect too little of you. I confess the times when I have not prayed big prayers for healing. But Lord, I ask that you would change our hearts, change how we think about healing, change our approach. Lord, I'd ask that for each person here that they would identify what do they need healing for. I'd ask, Lord, that they would push through whatever lack of belief they might wrestle with. And Lord, we pray big prayers knowing, Lord, that you desire for us to have life and have it to the full. Lord, may we err on that side of having high expectations of you because you are indeed a big God. We praise you and we love you. Thank you for your word and thank you for the opportunity to open it this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.